This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery and all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so thankful that you're here. So I have been just specifically this year, really feeling into, and I guess it started last year, really feeling into the effects of porn on our nervous systems, on our brains, and even on our pleasure. And I wrote a newsletter about it earlier in this year. And uh, I haven't just been sitting with the effects it has on us, um, but the effects it has on those around us, those that we love, and also the ways that my past has maybe contributed to that energy. Um, most of you are listening to the show probably know that I was a Playboy model. I didn't consider Playboy to be porn, um, but I do. I, I do have a lot of questions, and and uh, I'm I've been sitting with it this year on how to do my work around sacred sexuality and post about sacred sexuality without contributing to that energy and really holding a different um, just field in my post and in my messages. And, you know, I, I'm going to share a lot of the journey once the guest is on today, but I also, you know, once uh, the, the, uh, lockdown happened. I had a bunch of girlfriends that were making like 60 grand on OnlyFans. And as a single mother, it felt silly of me to not jump on that opportunity. And I, you know, I, again, didn't consider it to be porn. Um, if, if so, I considered it to be like ethical because I wasn't oppressed. The money was going straight to me. I wasn't fully nude all of the things. And I always aim to bring my gold, uh, my wisdom to the videos as well. And then I, um, you know, I had a friend that discovered that her husband had a couple of different addictions and I saw how a lot of those addictions, there were women, uh, who engaged in that as their work while bringing the spirituality. And I started to just feel into like, how, what's our responsibility here? What's our responsibility? How do we do this in integrity? Do I do this at all? And I started to step away from OnlyFans uh, and instead desire to just teach on there. Like I, I thought, oh, this is a genius idea. I'll teach, like not doing any sexy dances, not doing any, like maybe I'll wear a sexy outfit that I'll teach uh, about tantric tips and tools and how to be better lovers, how to connect better. And I went from making around six grand a month to like $60 a month. <laughs> so I, I discovered through that experience, even though I desire, I still think that that's like a genius idea and I would love to do it. It became clear to me like, okay, this is not the platform for that vision. This is not why people are on here, at least not the people who are following me on there. And so, yeah, I just have so many questions around uh, how do we how do we stay in this work, um, specifically as a woman with a past in Playboy, and uh, and with OnlyFans, and that being a lot of my following on social media. How do I um, do this work in full integrity and with clean boundaries and um, not only not contribute to any sort of addiction, but to, um, to actually help inspire a cleanup of that in our lives with more integrity. I don't know if I'm articulating this in the right way because I'm trying to save so much of it for the discussion with the guest. So I'll just go ahead and introduce him and we'll jump in deeper into this topic with him. 
So our guest today is a public speaker, a teacher, a published author of multiple books, his most recent book being The Addiction-Free Lifestyle. He's also a podcast host, a holistic performance coach, and above all else, a man who has devoted his life to uplifting humanity to its next level. Please help me welcome Ronnie Landis to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hey, Jade. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. I was telling the listeners that this is... um, not just addiction, but porn addiction and specific, um, specifically, um, which is one of the topics you reached out to me about after listening to the men's sexuality episode with um, Fabian. Um, that's a topic that has been really on my heart a lot in the last year. And uh, so it's like so timely that you reached out about mm-hmm. having this conversation. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited to dive in, but maybe uh, we can start with just a little bit about your story. Um, and what led you to becoming a leader in men's work, especially when it comes to addiction recovery? Yeah, sure. And I think I'd preface by saying, I don't know if I consider myself a leader in men's work specifically, because there are, there are a lot of leaders that specifically do only men's work. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm in that, I'm in that world. I've been in that world and kind of like the personal development, spiritual development, and holistic health world and the intersection between all of those for the last decade or 15 years or so in the holistic health world and as a professional nutritionist. So my, my background in the work that I do now is in nutrition, alternative healing modalities, holistic health. Um, and then that's bridged into trauma work and addiction recovery and like nervous system regulation work, somatic therapy. Um, and it just so happens that I tend to work with a lot of men And a lot of my message has been geared towards men because men struggle with particularly like pornography um, and sex addiction. Um, Those, those, because I'm also a man too, right? So I have a very unique angle and perspective on it. But I just wanted to clarify that I don't really consider myself like a men's coach. Mm -hmm. I just happen to coach a lot of men. And, um, and I do have a passion for supporting men, like particularly because I'm a man and I know what it's. I know what it's like to be a man mm-hmm. and, and the struggles that we go through, just like many women that get into spiritual and personal development tend to find themselves working with women, not all the time, but that, that is a very common thing because only a woman knows what it is to be a woman. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just want to clarify that. And I also suspect that as the, as the work deepens, there probably will be like a segment of particular men's work that I do that's just focused on men's development, holistic um, men's work and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, just a little bit about my background. So I was raised in martial arts from the age of four. And I spent pretty much my entire upbringing, um, really obsessed and inspired by martial arts and my athletic pursuits. So I was a double athlete in basketball and taekwondo. I was an Olympic hopeful in taekwondo in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And I was also pursuing a basketball career kind of like paralleling in my early 20s. That's a whole long story that I won't won't go down the rabbit hole. But the reason I got into holistic health was when I was 18, I had my first knee injury, which led to a surgery. And so I tore I tore a piece of my ACL in my my left knee during Taekwondo training, and so that led me down more of the holistic rehabilitation route, um, changing my diet for sports performance, but learning how to heal the body, particularly for athletic performance, and to heal my injury. And then over the course of time, that just led me more into the holistic lifestyle. And, um, and then eventually I I had a spiritual awakening when I got on a raw food diet. A number of years later, I did cleansing and detoxing. I had a complete awakening, not only, not only that, but I had a complete revitalization of my physical body. My knee injury is completely healed. The inflammation in my body healed within 30 days of going on a raw food diet, getting out of what I call the rubber cast shoe which is our conventional modern day shoe, which insulates the anatomical structure of our feet and compresses it. So our feet don't actually stretch out the way that they would like in a primal, like a primal body would. Mm -hmm. And so it gets compressed and we essentially become domesticated, um, domesticated. Um, And that's a word that I really took on when I really got into natural, natural living and natural foods and getting out into places like Hawaii, I live in Kauai right now. I was just in Austin, as I was telling you for three years. 
And um, that that really changed my life in a very profound way. And so over the course of the last 13 years ago, I've been a professional nutritionist, a holistic health practitioner. And, um, and now the work is really about inter integrating the worlds of psychosomatic, meaning mind-body development, the connection mm-hmm. between the mind and the body, and, um, and holistic health and personal development, and, um, and also a lot around trauma and addiction, as you know, and we're going to talk a lot about that in, this, uh, in our call today, so... Yeah, beautiful. There's some parallels there. I, I I was a ring girl for a fight league for a while. Um, so have a really strong, uh, love for MMA and just seeing the work that those men put in and then, uh, have a strong love for holistic nutrition as well. Attended the Czech Institute. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about specifically, uh, is there a part of your journey where, and, and I, I resonate too with the, the men's work title because, once I, man, I, I was so disconnected from my body and my pleasure for so long. And once I developed that connection again, it was women I wanted to work with because it was like the power of a woman being connected to her mm-hmm. womb space. And, 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 uh, at the same time, I also love working with men because I'm able to, um, guide them and how to support a woman in that journey. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I loved your perspective there. I'm curious what what was the moment that you felt called to work specifically in addiction recovery or or to write about that sure that that's a great question so you know it's interesting cuz the so the book that i put out in the summer of 2021 the addiction free lifestyle um that's my eighth book in total and all the other books before that have been you know books on nutrition and like um, you know, everything to do with alternative and holistic healing and in different themes and topics around that. Um, th- this book was very interesting because I was working on a different book called The Pathology of Fear, which is basically an entire book on fear, um, like a metaphysical manual for it. And then I got this whole download and the whole book came to me like within 10 seconds, the whole addiction free lifestyle, the title, the kind of the framework. And I realized that, oh, this is actually the book that I need to start writing because I was going through my own addiction patterns, my own coping strategies um, is what I what I call it. And we I'd love to kind of like go deeper into like what addiction is and unpack Mm -hmm. that for people. But I was going through my own my own stuff with social media and with tobacco and with caffeine and coffee and um you know, on and off pornography as like a sedative in the closet as most, you know, and that's, that's how most of these things happen is they, they get shooed away in the shadows of the closet in the subconscious. And we don't even want to look at it. That was kind of what was happening with me. And it was all coming up to the surface. And I was having a challenging time integrating that. And so it just kind of came to me and I realized that not only do I need to write this book for the masses, but I need to write this book for me because Mm -hmm. there's no other book on addiction that is anything like this. There's nothing that's truly holistic. That's integrative. That gives a comprehensive roadmap and framework of the psychological, emotional, physiological, biochemical, and the spiritual and metaphysical perspective on addiction. And so I realized as I continued to to unpack this within my writing process, it was very therapeutic, it was very cathartic, it was very confronting, um, but it was it was very medicinal for me to be able to do that because I realized through my own lived experience Um, I was being initiated into putting together something that could only have been written from direct experience, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that those so that kind of culminated together. And, you know, another thing I'll mention, too, as a holistic health practitioner, as a nutritionist, when you're working with people of all kinds of health conditions. I've worked with people from that just want to get more fit or lose weight all the way to stage three, stage four cancer. And like, like people that are on death's door and need need to like completely change their entire life in three to six months or else they're going to die. And the whole spectrum in between, I've worked with a lot of different health conditions. One thing I can say for sure is that any kind of health condition someone's dealing with, they have to approach it from an addiction mindset. Because the reason that the symptoms, 
like a health condition is a symptom of a bigger issue. It's, the cancer is not actually the issue. It's a symptomatic response of the body showing that the body is completely out of balance and it's only acute it's accumulated for a certain amount of time so now the actual symptom has manifested in a certain form that we say oh that's the disease that's the condition we need to cut burn poison in order to treat the symptom right but there's a downstream effect that created the the conditions the internal terrain for the symptom to become what it is. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really looked at that and I realized like, this is all addiction. Like if you really approach health from addiction perspective, the patterns, the habits that lead to the disease, the dis-ease, mm -hmm. it's all based on addiction, but nobody really looks at it that way. And mm -hmm. so, so I put all that together, um, or I should say it put itself together through me. And, um, and then I just realized from the response and feedback of people that this was really something that needed, that needed a bigger voice, that needed someone to champion this voice. And I'll also to say this too, I've been kind of obsessed with this thing on dopamine for about 10 years. Um, strangely, I don't know why, like, it's just one of these things that like, I, I got a hold of in my mind, and it's never left me. And then the last like five years, I became super fascinated with this topic of dopamine. Um, it, it is the most, the most versatile and the most interesting molecule in the entire human chemistry set to me. I know we'll talk about that more, but those are kind of the things that really, that really fascinated me when it came to this addiction work. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the to totally the same page there with you there about the symptoms and, and dis-ease um, and you brought up, um, you, you've, we've already touched on addiction quite a bit and how we're going to dive into that, but maybe um, you have a beautiful definition of what addiction is to you. So maybe you could share that and then we'll go into the dopamine. Sure. Yeah, that's the perfect place to go. Um, whenever I'm asked about like, what is addiction, it's kind of an unpacking process. Um, so I wanted to start with a quote from Dr. Gabor Mate. I always do this and he kind of leads into it really beautifully, which is addiction is not your problem. It's your best attempt to solve your problem or your perceived problem. Mm -hmm. And again, this is the pointing at the, the symptom or the coping strategy so any addiction, like a, a substance, a person, a place, a thing, is an external coping mechanism. It's a compensatory strategy that we have assigned as a, as a way to medicate, sedate, tranquilize, or numb the internal disconnect that we feel inside of ourselves, whether we're aware of it or not. Most of the time, mm -hmm. we're not. Sometimes we are, but we perpetuate the pattern anyways, which is an interesting kind of exploration into self-sabotage, self-defeating habits, like things that we know consciously are not serving us. They're not healthy for us. They're simply not good for us, but we're repeating the pattern anyways. And so there's something in our subconscious programming that we get to look at when it comes to why do we keep repeating patterns that we know are not good for us, but we're kind of in a, a dopaminergic pleasure pain loop. Yeah. Um, and so that's essentially what we're trying to medicate, right? We're trying to we're trying to sedate a, se a sensation within the body. That's that's essentially so essentially what a, an addiction is, is a coping strategy that essentially has become maladaptive. It's become a maladaptive coping um, mechanism. And it's the best thing that we know in the moment to deal with whatever the real problem is underneath the hood. Yeah. So when we're looking at behaviors, whether it's social media or ketamine spray at a social gathering or pornography mm -hmm. or, um, dating, you know, receiving texts from, um, people that we're talking to, whatever it is that gets that dopamine hit. Um, how do we know if it's an addiction? Is it because, mm -hmm. um, is it my, I mean, my guess would be, am I using this to disassociate, like to, to be more, is this something that brings me more out of my body or more into my body? However, a lot of people who are unconscious of their addiction can easily look at it and say, Oh no, no, no. It brings me more into my body. 
that's why a lot of people drink alcohol. It takes the edge off and they're more in their body is what they would say. So how do we, how do we really decipher between if something is an addiction or not? Uh, I think there's two things that come up for me. First of all, do you have control over your impulses? So what's the, what's the gap time between stimulus and response? So the stimulus would be the thought, the, the craving, the trigger, the impulse, the gravitational force that motivates you towards the person, place, thing, substance, right? Um, and so how long can you actually maintain the gap in between? Or do you just feel that impulse, that craving, and then you kind of can't help yourself and you just immediately jump into the thing as a way to medicate that that sensation that you feel mm -hmm. i think impulse control is actually one of the telltale signs if you have an addictive tendency and then again the actual mechanism outside of you the thing is not actually the issue it's just the way that your brain has developed an association to pleasure to avoid pain so there's some sort of pain or discomfort i feel inside of myself some disconnection that i feel inside of myself and my brain has developed a neurocognitive association to, oh, this is the way that I sedate the pain. Mm -hmm. So then I need to increase the perceived pleasure, i.e. the dopamine, in order to mitigate the, the pain, which is always temporary, right? It's just a form of, it's just a discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, so that's number one. And then the number, the, the second thing is like, is this repeated pattern producing beneficial results in your life mm -hmm. and if it's not yet i keep repeating it that's something i really need to look at that's a really good question yeah thank you mm -hmm. so when it comes to dopamine what role does that play in that process that you're talking about and in that behavior mm -hmm. yeah so dopamine is like the most complex and sophisticated molecule in the human chemistry set in my mind mm -hmm. it affects so many different functions but one of the main things that it does is it's responsible for the motivational neuro networks in the brain so the reason we're motivated towards anything is a function of dopamine primarily and then it's a matter of how we've trained our dopamine system to be motivated either to short-term pleasure and relief or long-term fulfillment and let's call it success, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so do dopamine is like a tracking molecule. So it's always tracking for either, again, something that's going to produce like short-term pleasure or pain relief. If, if we've been in a state where we've been in a lot of pain, and that's kind of our new, our, that's our normality. That's our normal. And so we're, our brain is always going to be tracking, how do I alleviate the inflammation? How do I alleviate the stress or distress? How do I alleviate and medicate the pain and discomfort? And then dopamine kind of goes to work to figure that out in the quickest way possible. Um, so if we can retrain that mechanism to seek out long-term fulfillment then what ends up happening is the dopamine actually starts tracking things that are going to going to align with that. I'm so excited to tell you guys about Paleo Valley's grass-fed bone broth. Bone broth has been hailed as a healing superfood for centuries. And what makes bone broth so amazing is its collagen content. After the age of 20, we begin producing less collagen every year. And as our production declines, our natural collagen and elastic fibers get looser, meaning fine lines and wrinkles, dry skin, deterioration of healthy joints, brittle hair and nails, and much more. But consuming supplemental collagen, such as in bone broth, can actually stimulate the body to make more of its own collagen. I choose Paleo Valley's bone broth because unlike most bone broths, theirs is not processed with high heat. 
It's not extracted with harmful chemicals. It's 100% grass-fed and finished from cows never given antibiotics, steroids, or hormones. And something that really sets them apart is that this product is made from bones, not hides. Most companies use the hides because it's cheaper. But when collagen is sourced from the animal's skin, we miss out on all of the extra nutrients and restorative benefits of the bones. The benefits are endless, but a few are that it eases arthritis symptoms and supports joint health, improves skin health and reduces the appearance of wrinkles. It increases hair growth, aids in blood sugar regulation, helps prevent heart disease, supports gut health, helps build muscle mass and boost metabolism, reduces the appearance of cellulite and promotes better sleep. I had been searching for a long time for the most convenient and cost-effective bone broth without sacrificing quality because I knew I wanted it as a staple in my family's daily routine. Paleo Valley's bone broth not only makes it easy to serve my children, but the flavor also makes it exciting for them. Protein in our diet makes all the difference in our moods in this home. And with my daughter being very picky when it comes to protein, this makes it so easy for me to make sure that she's getting enough of that each day. They have the unflavored, which mixes easily in anything, but I am obsessed with their vanilla and chocolate flavors and so are my kids. I feel so great providing this for my family each morning as we start our day. Head over to paleovalley.com forward slash jade for 15% off your first order. That's Paleo Valley, P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash Jade for 15% off your first order. Okay. So I'm not that familiar with dopamine um, as much as I am like just feel good endorphins, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So what about when it comes to things like ecstatic dance, going for a run, um, dancing with a loved one, um, Mm -hmm. eating some chocolate, you know, like, like intentionally, um, having a intentional pleasure practice are all, are all of those things also sources of dopamine? Yeah. And I want to clarify too. Um, dopamine is amazing. (laughs) I just want to clarify that because there is a lot of kind of contextual conversations around dopamine, it being a negative, or we have too much dopamine, or we need to minimize our dopamine. And there's too much external dopamine signaling that's going on, particularly through our computer screens and our phones, mm-hmm. and, and pornography and, and getting this influx of artificial and unnatural stimulation of mm-hmm. dopamine without actually having to put forth effort in order to, let's use the word earn dopamine. Mm -hmm. So I think this is actually what you brought up kind of leads into such an important point for people. So dopamine is the best way for me to say it is that a healthy dopamine system is actually like it's based on the reward principle. So dopamine actually tripwires the reward and pleasure centers of the brain. It doesn't produce pleasure. It triggers the pleasure centers of the brain to produce their own endorphins. Mm -hmm. But if we get like false dopamine, or let me say we get dopamine without having to put any effort into it, like watching porn, Mm -hmm. just masturbating, getting the climax, Mm -hmm. getting what's called a hyper normal stimulation of dopamine. But you don't, you're basically cutting out the middleman in what would be an actual situation where a man would have to talk to a woman he'd have to overcome his insecurities he'd have to go through like the discomfort he'd actually have to grow through that process he'd have to engage both Mm -hmm. people would have to have an actual human interaction and an engagement before that actual experience happens and then as you know and, and so many people I think understand like a real sexual engagement is very different than a scripted like like um, extremely high dopaminergically driven um, porn scene that is that is scripted and carried out exactly for that purpose to heighten a man's dopamine system to basically fully engage his entire energy his consciousness and his whole nervous system gets sympathetically aroused and fully engaged in an artificial um, like virtual reality essentially and disconnects him from himself and then he has this flooding of dopamine and then this climax and then that dopamine actually completely drops off right after 
which is why like depression can kick in very quickly after these experiences or the prolonged experiences. Um, because dopamine, again, it, it wants you to earn it. So like when you go and work out, you, you don't tend to always feel like working out, right? Like I don't feel like writing my book every day. I don't feel like doing the things that, that make me feel really good when I'm done doing them. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, actually, that tends to be the pattern. A lot of the things that make me feel really good and fulfilled and proud of myself and that that healthy dopaminergic response, in the beginning, a lot of times I don't feel like it. But overcoming that temporary feeling and just persisting and moving through it because I know that this is good for me, mm-hmm. that dopamine response that I get, which is like when you're in the gym and you work through that that uncomfortable part and you kind of wake yourself up and you get through the whole thing, then you kind of, you get the second wind. That's dopamine kicking in saying, good job. Now I'm going to give you that boost. I'm going to give you that, that reward to push you forward mm-hmm. because dopamine is the motivation molecule. So yeah. now I'm going to motivate you to push to the next level. And what also happens, I feel really good. So like even ecstatic dance, right? It's like, maybe you feel like it, maybe you don't, but you feel like it's a good thing. I'm going to go, I'm going to go just flow and see what happens. And then you get into a flow and all of a sudden you're like, you're in the zone and they can't get you off the dance floor. It's, mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing. Does yeah. that all make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Okay. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I have a women's program that's all around um, sacred sexuality and pleasure and and I was talking to them about that as well. And just how, um, when we're going into pleasure or, um, connecting to our bodies, it's, it's about really being in your body, but mm-hmm. you're so with your senses and your, your, um, it's anything but an escape. Mm-hmm. And so, so that answers it perfectly because it is, it's like, there is work here. Like it's very, very intentional. Um, and that's, that is the missing piece. So I want to dive into porn addiction specifically and how this hurts us, how it, how it alters our brains. I know that, um, when I looked at some stuff that I'd seen you talk on in the past, uh, two things that really stood out to me, um, were like, one was like, and it kind of, I never thought about this before, but like the fact that it's called adult entertainment, Mm, mm. like that's almost like, well, the words entertainment in there and then also just adult. And it's, it's crazy that that's what we call it. What is, what is that? I'm curious. Like I've never heard someone, what does that bring up for you? Um, well, like, you know, what I read, I think it, I think you had said right after that was like, it's a, it's a digital weapon targeting masculine drive, discipline, and purpose. But if we can call it entertainment, uh, mm. it, it like, it's, um, it's a justification almost and yeah. adult entertainment. It's like almost like a privilege to, you know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. just, it's so, yeah. so, so like all pornography and pornography sites, um, it's a hook. And so yeah. it's so manipulative. Um, yeah. Yeah. so there's that. And then I saw, um, just a statistic that like 200,000 people in the U S are considered porn addicts, which is a lot lower than I expected. Um, but that men be, and I mean, that's probably what we can just account for. Right. But right. with men being 543% more likely to be addicted than women. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to just hear you speak on how it affects us, specifically also how it affects our brains. And then I'd love to share um, my, um, just my, my thoughts and feelings about porn and, and, and get your feedback on that. Yeah, beautiful. Well, it's, it's great to have the, the male and female kind of perspective on this and tag team on the subject. Yeah. And um, man, where do I start? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big topic. And um, I, I think like what you brought up is so critical to understand that pornography is weaponized adult entertainment, quote unquote. That, that's the, that's the, the punchline. Mm-hmm. Pornography is weaponized adult entertainment entertainment entrainment and these words are very interesting too because pornography entrains your brain neurochemically psychologically and subconsciously to seek out this to seek out immediate gratification 
immediate pleasure to and completely forego any long-term consequences or long-term fulfillment and success whatsoever. Like more than anything, maybe, maybe heroin or something, but almost more than anything. And it's incredibly insidious and it has an effect on our subconscious mind. And it creates like over, over time, the, the, the images and the impressions imprint upon our subconscious mind, like scenes in a movie. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen, and a lot of people will report this, and I'll be one of those people to report it too, in my own experience, so observationally and anecdotally, I can say for sure, um, these subconscious booby traps, as I call them, like, the, so the scenes in the movie that had a particular sympathetic arousal point, what I mean by sympathetic is your sympathetic nervous system is your stress-based nervous system. And just because you're experiencing a form of pleasure does not mean that your body is not in a heightened state of stress, right? Any form of activity is going to trigger the sympathetic response. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but in the form of pornography, the, the pleasure is actually a covering up a stress response mm. that's happening in the body, right? So you're actually getting medicated while your body is getting overstimulated, mm -hmm. right? Just, just think about that for a second. So it actually creates like an overlay over your consciousness. So you're not consciously aware of mm. the subconscious programming that's slipping through the slipstream. I've actually never, I never really laid it out this way. So this is actually really good that this is coming through. So that medicative effect is covering up like a cloaking device, the actual imprinting that's going on in your subconscious mind. And when your dopamine system gets hyper aroused, especially during climax, those scenes in the movie that you watched have a particular impressioning or imprinting on your subconscious mind. And then men in particular, you may find yourself randomly objectifying women, not because you're even trying to, but because you, you experience some sort of sympathetic arousal when you're around a woman and you could be just having a normal conversation or just on Instagram or mm -hmm. only or whatever the thing is. And then all of a sudden that woman gets placed into some sort of distorted fantasy that wasn't even voluntarily generated in that moment from that man, but it was based on a, on a subconscious program that was implanted and the thing gets stuck. And I call that subconscious booby traps. So I think maybe we should just pause on that for a second. Yeah. Um, hmm. it, yeah. I, you know, there's a difference between erotic appreciation and objectification for sure. Right. Right. You can see a woman, wow, she's got great curves and she's a soul. And yeah. I think what porn trains us to do is, is to objectify like, oh, she's just great, a great ass. And like, you just don't even see the soul there. Um, mm. And, and even if you're watching porn with the intention of erotic appreciation, say you're consciously watching porn, if there's such a thing, right? Um, there's this idea, I think, that a lot of people have, because you brought up heroin, of like, well, porn is the least hurtful. We're not hurting anybody, right? It's like what a, a lot of people would think. Right. I have a different perspective because I've been involved in the Texas Coalition to End Sex Trafficking for like two decades. Mm. And it's so clear that even free porn, because they're generating ads, um, and generating addiction, there's just so much that comes with, with even with free porn, um, it really does go hand in hand with sex trafficking. Yep. And so we've, we yep. can say like, oh, it's just free porn. And like, I'm just um, I'm feeling intimacy with myself or whatever it is. I'm not actually hurting anybody. My wife doesn't know. Nobody's being hurt. Um, like, we really, truly don't know what all we're actually contributing to, like, um, in that field. And like, um, when it comes to sex trafficking, yep. um, and I'm going to have, I have two guests from now. I have a sex trafficking survivor coming on and she's going to speak on that as well. So I'm really excited to have her on. But the other thing you talked about the subconscious, um, for me is that, oh man, I am like energy. It's, 
when we're watching someone, um, for me, I believe that our sexual energy is the most potent energy we can work with. Absolutely. So when I teach my women's program around tapping into your pleasure and all of those things, cause I do not want to, um, I don't want to shame that right now when we're talking about all of this, because it's completely different um, when you're um, approaching it, merging your sexuality with your spirituality. Mm. Um, for me, I pretty much always am uh, merging that with like a dispensive practice. It's like a very um, different uh, experience, but uh, I strongly, I Tantra teaches and I've been taught in other, um, in other ways as well, just through experience that like our sexual energy is the most potent energy that we can work with. And so if we're working with our sexual energy, even not intentionally, and we're watching something and we don't know what's in those people's fields, what cords, what karma they hold. And Mm -hmm. we're magnifying that in our field. Mm -hmm. Like we just, we have no, and it's the same to me, even with fantasy, like I've, I've told this story in the past, but like one time, and I have very, I've had very strong boundaries around my pleasure practice in that. Like, I don't watch something. I don't fantasize because Mm -hmm. I don't know what's in that person's field. First of all, secondly, it's poor boundaries. Like I don't have a person's permission. Like what if they don't want to be in my field? Sexual energy is so strong. I'm bringing them into my field that I don't have their permission. That's weak boundaries on my part. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've been very like clean with myself in those ways. I don't know that clean is the right word, but I've been very strict um, just clear. clear. Yeah. Right. Thank you. And, uh, one time I felt someone's energy come in. This was like a year ago. I felt someone's energy come in that I had not like called on. I hadn't thought of this person. I hadn't talked to them in months. And all of a sudden I felt their energy come in. I didn't like go into a visualization or a fantasy about them. I just felt like, man, I love what this person embodies. I love Mm -hmm. what this person embodies. And I allowed it to stay there through my pleasure practice Mm -hmm. into the practice. And like, I pick up my phone and that person texts me. I didn't talk to this person in months, married man. And like text and was like, Hey, I'm on a plane right now. And I just got this whiff of your energy and it was so strong. And he was like, I just, and I was like, shit, this is real. Like this stuff is real. Like, and Mm. there's been times like uh, where I've, I I've thought of someone or I've been looking at their Instagram, feeling insecure about them. And then uh, like, while dating someone and it's their ex and I'm like kind of stalking that person on Instagram. And then the person I'm dating is like, my ex reached out to me today. It's like, they hadn't talked in like a year, but I was looking at their page. It's like, I really feel like when we, when we put our energy towards someone or we invite them into our fields, like it creates effects. And just we're, we're, we're kind of like courting to that person in a way, like bonding to them in a way. And so I want, that's my thing with porn is like, you don't know what, what that person has in their field. And you're, you're not only inviting that into yours, but you're then magnifying it with your sexual energy. Mm -hmm. So So there's that. So with those two things, those two truths of like, it's linked to sex trafficking and I don't want to contribute to that. And I don't want these people's energy in my fields. Um, Before I came into that second truth, for me, my, like that doesn't have to be anyone's truth listening, but that truth for me, um, when it was just the sex trafficking thing, I would just go on Twitter and I would go to like the, the little like porn Twitter accounts and I'd be able to watch their little videos. This is like a lot in my twenties because I thought like, Oh, well it's like, it's Twitter. It's not contributing to anything. I'm just getting this quick little flash. Um, that used to be a habit of mine in my twenties. And I, I think almost all of my thirties, I didn't engage with any pornographic videos, photos, anything. And last year I got some sort of email and it, uh, and I clicked on it and it was, it was like a very similar to what I used to see on Twitter. And I was like, ah, like I, you know, I had the surge in my body and I was like, ah, like I'll just go into my pleasure practice. And then when I did, it was like, I couldn't even reach pleasure because Mm. and it, I realized like, wow, it actually, we don't realize it, but when we're, when our energy is focused outwards instead of inwards, we're actually capping our pleasure. And it had been so long since I experienced that, that I didn't even see that transition that now that my energy is all focused inwards, there's this, um, extraordinary amount of pleasure that I'm able to reach that when it's focused mm-hmm. on something outside of myself, like that video, it is so capped. And so there's that yeah. as well. 
um, before I go into like my next point about, uh, my feelings around porn, do you have anything? <laughs> Cause I know I just, I put a lot yeah. of, so. No, I, I really appreciate that in, in getting the, the woman's perspective and the lived experience and everything you said is absolutely correct. Um, and this could be an entire podcast just on pornography and like human trafficking and the, the interception between the two and the undeniable cord that both share in particular. I mean, all somebody has to do is go watch the movie Sound of Freedom. It, it doesn't draw the, it doesn't draw the pornography piece. I mean, it, it does in a very disturbing way that we're not going to talk about on this, this video. Um, but it, but it's, it's one rung down from what we're talking about. And so when you look at it energetically, there's an energetic ley line, like you're kind of pointing out the, the energetic ley line or the cording between our consciousness and the projection of our consciousness into the auric field of another, which is from a quantum physics perspective, not relegated based on quote unquote time and space. It's non-local. So that's, that's a really powerful principle too. this idea of non-locality and quantum mechanics, meaning that a thought, uh, a thought, which is a unit of mental energy, um, an emotion, which, you know, energy in motion, it's all, it's all the same thing, really. It's in, in, it doesn't, it, it, it's not based on a physical location. So that's a really fascinating thing, especially the more synchronicities and the more like spooky coincidences as Albert Einstein would call it which is just the which is understanding the golden thread threading of consciousness in the energetic field the the field effect that we all are in and we all have auras which are which are our field our bio field this has all been studied this has all been documented this is not just like a spiritual idea or a mm -hmm. metaphysical concept these are scientifically documented realities and measurable things that we have a biofield that we call an aura that emanates particularly through the heart. The heart is the biggest generator of our magnetic field, our electromagnetic field. Um, so you think that that wouldn't have some sort of some sort of um, unifying effect or bonding effect? Um, mm -hmm. It's not just body to body, right? It, it goes beyond that. I just wanted to mention that or, or expand upon what you're saying, because yeah. it is so real and so so profound. And then, yeah, there is the ethical issue of, you know, what am I contributing to? And what does that say about certain aspects of my own character or my own undeveloped character and, and the certain, and the integrity and the, and the integration or the lack thereof, of my own sense of, of congruence you know, mm -hmm. as a human being, whether I'm a man or a woman, you know, mm -hmm. and this is, this is also part of the collective shadow that is unearthing itself, especially since 2020. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a micro and macro kind of thing. The micro is me and my lived experience, my own consciousness, my identity is Ronnie Landis and, and all that. Then the macro is the collective, the, what's called the, the newest fear, which is the collective psychic field that Carl Jung talked about. And so we are connected to the noosphere. We are connected to the collective psyche. And what's what's emerging within each one of us individually is a micro reflection of what's all what's trying to emerge and resurrect itself and integrate itself in the collective. So from that perspective, we actually have a huge responsibility and our thoughts, our words, our actions, our deeds in what we what we put our life force energy into, whether it's just what we do with our hands and what we do with our, our actions or the, the contribution of where we put our attention does have an effect on the whole. And so I just wanted that. That's just what wanted to come through in response to your, your beautiful share. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that call to like that uprising and that up leveling and integrity in, in that area of our lives. Cause it really, that's a huge piece of it. Um, and, and if that isn't, I feel like there is this uprising collectively that's happening where we're all desiring to be in more integrity in our sexuality. I see mm. it all. Maybe it's just the accounts I follow, but I see it all over social media. I think it's, it's pretty wise. I, I feel it very strongly inside of me. Yeah, it gives me so much hope. And so 
if there, I mean, that reason alone, I feel like will um, really inspire people to step out of um, addictive behaviors like this. I'm curious, you brought up ethics. So um, in my twenties, I, you know, was, uh, had a contract with Playboy for four or five years, probably shot with them, I don't know, over 20 times, um, published maybe half a dozen and then, uh, you know, the rest online and for campaigns, cause they would do campaigns, campaigns for movies and shows. And, um, I didn't consider it porn. Um, for me, I had a lot of sexual trauma and a lot of religious trauma. So for mm. me, that was a rebellious, n- unintegrated form of reclamation that I didn't realize was happening. I was in my young twenties. Um, and although every time I felt the click of the camera, I felt because there was a consensual, um, experience there, I felt like I was taking something back. Even, even in that I was still out of my body. I wasn't sexually empowered. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't connected to, I wasn't connected to my own sensuality. So there wasn't a reclamation there, but it was at least, um, it was at least a stepping, a stepping, Mm -hmm. um, stone in that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just the, just the fact that it was, uh, something that was consensual, I think was really huge for me. Um, so I, I didn't consider it porn and, uh, and then, you know, the pandemic happened. I'm a single mom of two kids and I had a couple of girlfriends that were making 60 grand a month on OnlyFans. That is wild. Not, not even doing nude. It was so not even it you know, a lot of people don't consider playboy or non nude stuff, um, Mm -hmm. pornography. If it's a sexy strip tease, you can see how maybe it fuels the addiction, fuels that dopamine, um, uh, addiction Mm -hmm. as well. But, um, you know, my thoughts around when I entered into OnlyFans as a way to provide for my children during the pandemic, which felt very empowering for me. Um, it was another, also I hadn't healed my sexual trauma yet. This mm-hmm. was actually, it was actually only fans where I realized how robotic I was in my sexual expression. Mm-hmm. And so again, it was a very important stepping stone. Um, but in that, in that experience, um, there was, you know, and it didn't feel like a justification. I truly felt like this is ethical porn because I'm not oppressed. This is going straight to my children and how we're surviving mm-hmm. the pandemic. And, um, this is actually keeping people off other porn sites. So like in my mind, I mm. truly felt empowered in my decision. Sure. And it wasn't, and, and I also have a handful of girlfriends um, that are, uh, you know, they consider themselves tantric priestesses. Um, I, I've studied tantra very in depth and I don't consider tantra to be mainly sexual, um, but they, mm. they do, um, uh, sex work, basically like all different forms, whether it's just a hand job, not just, but whether it's a hand job or full service. And, um, because they're bringing sexuality to it, it's, uh, considered this tantric work. Um, I'm very neutral here. I have no shame, no judgment. Um, and I do what I do know about that line of work is that a lot of the customers, a lot of the clients are married men from what I've experienced. Um, from what I've seen, um, the energy I feel from it when I peek into that is, uh, a lot of these men have, have an addiction and it's, um, it's an addiction and they're married. So there's, it's, it's a sticky industry, you know, whether, whether your intentions are well, whether your intentions are good, whether you're bringing your spirituality or not, there's so many like, plus Mm -hmm all of the cords that we spoke on, you know, all of that we're, we're commingling our sexual energy. There's all these thoughts, zero judgment, zero shame. I want everyone to have the right to choose. Um, but my, I guess my, my, what I would like to talk about with you is like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had a girlfriend crying to me about, um, finding out that her husband had an addiction to these tantric massage therapy therapy Mm -hmm. sessions Mm -hmm. and to porn. Yeah. Uh, to OnlyFans, sorry. Um, not all, I don't think OnlyFans actually allows porn porn anymore, but, and to OnlyFans. And I saw her pain. Um, sure. I saw her pain and I saw what it did, what it did to her 
feelings of self-worth to her trust, to her safety. And I just thought, like, I had never thought about, I had thought about it, but not to this. I thought about how most of these men are married, but I thought about how it was considered ethical. And I experiencing this woman's pain, I, I started to really think about um, wanting to unwind all of that karma that I may have from mm. men who use Playboy and then ventured into addiction or who um, may have used OnlyFans and were neglecting their wives or not able to connect to their wives because they were seeking outside of their marriage. Um, and so I'm curious, like, is there, what are your thoughts on like mm. this version of ethical porn? Is there such thing as ethical porn? Um, and mm -hmm. I mean, I think my main thing is like, from what I see it is, yes, there are a lot of single lonely men who this is their only form of connection, um, because they're, they don't feel capable of connecting with a woman. They don't feel that confident, yeah. right? but I do feel that a lot of them are also married. And so there's just, there's so much. Let's, unpack, let's, let's unpack that. I'll, yeah. I'll give you the, I'll give you the, the male perspective on that too. Yeah. And I know we don't, I don't want to take too much time because we don't have too much time, but I want to be straightforward. And especially if any men are listening to this, the, the reality is that regardless of why you're doing this, you have to suss out your lack of dedication, devotion, and commitment to being the best version of you because porn in any form Again, it's it's weaponized against you. It's weaponized against us. And OnlyFans is just one rung down from the ladder, neurochemically speaking. For I'm not gonna even get into like the ethics and integrity. Every man within his bones, within his own character and his masculine template, if he gets deeper into doing men's work and gets deeper into getting into his body and his own trauma, and, and going deep into his healing process and unraveling the stuckness within his own nervous system and doing that earnest work, the, the truth within him will emerge. You don't need me to tell you whether this is right or wrong. Um, the reason you're not telling your wife or partner or any habit that's put into the closet, particularly around sexuality, that tells you that there's a part of you that knows that this is not correct. Like this is not actually something that I can be proud of because I don't want to tell anyone about it. So the shame and the guilt and the, and the self-confidence and the, the lack and, and the doubt and cloudiness that that creates within one's own psyche, um, that, that in of itself is just, you already know what it is. So I'm just, I'm just going to point that out for all the men that are listening. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the shame and the guilt that you fear that you feel is both a byproduct, and that's your your emotional guidance system letting you know, hey, this is actually not correct. And the fact that I feel shame and guilt is not something that I need to feel shameful or guilty about. It's something that I need to pay attention to in my tracking system, mm -hmm. my uh, moral compass is telling me because men that's 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 how we that's that's what governs healthy masculinity like a true alpha male is not about bravado it's about actually being in touch with your moral compass and understanding right and wrong and the demarcation between the two and and like being very and being integrated between your light and your dark if you want to use that language like that's actually what being an alpha male is is being a leader and you can't be a leader unless you lead yourself and a leader has to learn to be a follower. So you need a mentor, you need a coach, you need God, you need a higher authority and something that you can aspire towards that you admire in someone else or in, you know, in, in, you know, in your spiritual practice, whatever it is that that's pulling you forward. Um, and then learn to lead yourself by just simply taking one step at a time to make better decisions and deepen into some form of commitment that's in a positive direction. Um, but so I just want to mention that for all the men there, um, without me kind of imposing my perspectives, because mm -hmm. I could do that, but I don't think that's really useful. I, I think I think every man in his heart knows between right and wrong, and and I can see why that's so painful for women in particular. 
you know, and, and that's, that's a very deep wound, um, that that's part of the collective, the, the traumatization and the, and really hijacking our sexuality because our sexuality is the most powerful force in, in the world, in the universe. Like, I, like that is the, that is the force of creation. That is the force of manifestation. That, that is the force that's going to bridge heaven and earth. Right. And, and literally allow us to create heaven on earth in our own life. It's going to be through the portal of our own sexual empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, like when you really mature and refine through the edges and layers of this, like you're kind of explaining in your story. And I know for me as a man, I, I also, I'm still like deepening into more of a devotional quality when it comes to my sexuality versus just like, the act of sex, like just the physicality, like learning how to slow down and drop into sensuality and creativity mm-hmm. and the spark of, of enthusiasm, right. And inspiration, which is actually a byproduct of my, my, my sexual energy, um, you know, and how I, how I manage it, how I direct it, how I preserve it, how I contain it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one last thing I want to say though, before I forget, and I think this is relevant with everything that I'm talking about too. The problem with these digital screens is, is you're not reading a magazine with some like PG 13, you know, photos on it, right? You're getting flickering, flickering lights. You're getting high amounts of dopaminergic stimulation, sympathetic arousal more than the brain and the nervous system is, is, is developed to take in at any, any given moment, more, more subconscious um, information is flooding the brain at a rapid rate. And your brain doesn't have a context between what's real and what's not real. And I want this piece to really land for people, whether it's, it's weaponized pornography, it's dating websites, it's OnlyFans. Your brain has a hard time distincting between a real experience, which is why porn-induced erectile dysfunction is so prevalent amongst, amongst men, um, particularly those that are struggling with pornography, because the dopamine receptors in the brain get blunted and burnt out through overstimulation. And then the signal that goes from here to down here to your genitals gets blunted and blocked off. And so a man's, a, br- a man's brain's interpretation of a real life sexual encounter with a woman becomes stunted because he has, he has this false interpretation and this overstimulation of dopamine from the computer screen that doesn't factor in the reality of connecting with a woman and all the things that go into leading up to an actual sexual experience, all that is completely removed. So it's not in his programming. So the dopamine stimulation doesn't take effect like it would when you're courting or when you're in like a, you know, you're kissing or, you know, this kind of thing. Um, it's all like, kind of like, it's, it's very, uh, like taking energy. Like every woman has unfortunately felt and we've all felt. Um, like it's like like get to the finish line kind of energy. Um, and so that's a major issue because the brain because the brain, the brain again doesn't doesn't have a context what's real and what's not real because we have become addicted and codependent on these digital drugs called our phone and called social media and online pornography. And the truth of the matter is the only way to overcome this and come back into neurochemical and psychological balance is going through a dopamine reset. There's no way around it. We have to go through a reset, reboot, and a recovery process so our brain's neurochemistry set can come back into balance and harmony. Because the good thing is that our brain is designed to reboot and heal itself through neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. But we have to unwind these old patterns in these neurochemical associations to short-term pleasure as a way to avoid pain and discomfort. And we actually have to retrain ourselves, especially men. We have to retrain ourselves what it actually is to be a man, like to be a masculine man 
Um, and I want, and this is the point I just wanted to mention before I pause this thing about like, Oh, men use these things because they don't feel like they can. I thought that was an interesting, interesting term. I wanted to address for all the men that maybe you don't feel good enough. You don't feel confident. You don't feel capable. The well, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you do, which generates the feeling. And this is the problem with our world in so many ways is that we are, we are, we, we we're ba we're basing everything on feelings. Like I don't feel a certain way. Therefore I'm not capable. We have to actually reverse that. I'm not going to feel good enough until I feel more capable. I'm not good at anything until I am good at it. I have to get into practice. I have to commit myself to different things. Like that that's a major thing for for men right now is that we have to get into capability and competency, which means that we have to really instill more discipline upon ourselves. And I think for a lot of men, especially if you're dealing with uh, a sex addiction, pornography, any kind of addiction whatsoever, addressing the sexuality piece is actually going to be the quickest way to success because underneath every other coping mechanism, every drug, every substance, um, everything whatsoever, I think it actually, if you get down to the root, you literally get into the root and you start working with your root chakra, which actually the fear uh, of fear and sexuality are tightly laced together. And that also has to do with our finances and our prosperity. Those mm -hmm. things are very hooked together. So if we can actually get into what's going on with our sexual energy, and we can really get into that in the trauma work, and there's a lot of new whole podcasts on just modalities and, and strategies. And I know that you I'm sure that you have a lot of people on that talk specifically about how to heal sexual trauma. Yeah. You start to notice a liberation of your energy, of your psychic like space, the bandwidth mm -hmm. of your, your psyche. Um, and then other things in your life start to manifest in alignment with the healing that you do, particularly around your sexual energy. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to hold oppression mm -hmm. and trauma in place. So I agree, like once that's liberated, oh my God, it frees up so much energy that you didn't even know that you had, not just like in your body, but like you said, in your finances and in your creativity. Thank you for listening to part one of Ronnie Landis. Stay tuned next time for part two. But we got what it takes for the circle.